the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. As a constitutional law attorney, former senior legal advisor and personal counsel to President Donald J. Trump, Jenna Ellis believes in the rule of law and the importance of integrity in our elections. And she's ready to tackle the big cultural and legal issues facing America. This is The Jenna Ellis Show. Here is your host, Jenna Ellis. Welcome to The Jenna Ellis Show. I'm Jenna Ellis, and happy Wednesday. And we have a great show for you today because we're going to be talking about Based Burger. I know you guys have all seen this trending on Twitter yesterday. And the the news, this just keeps getting better and better because private companies are standing up and just saying no to Joe Biden, saying no to the overreaching government and saying, this is absolutely ridiculous that we are going to not only force our own employees to submit to these unconstitutional, unreasonable vaccine mandates, but as one in and out in San Francisco said, we refuse to become the vaccination police. This is going to be a great show, and I have a fantastic guest today. And before we get into that, I have to tell you about Legacy Precious Metals, because gold offers a hedge against inflation and protects you from the volatile financial markets. Legacy Precious Metals, our good friends here at Salem Media, is a company that you can trust to give you good, patient counsel for your personal situation. Their team of experts has decades of experience helping Americans like you and me make the right decision for yourself and your family. Now is the time for Americans to take steps to protect our finances and retirements. And I trust my friends at Legacy Precious Metals. So call them today at 866-528-1903. That's 866-528-1903. Or visit them online at LegacyPMInvestments.com or download their free investor's guide, LegacyPMInvestments.com. All right, so San Francisco's only in and out refuses to enforce the city's vaccination mandate for indoor dining. My guest today is my very dear friend, John Bachman. You have seen him every day from noon to 2 p.m. Eastern on Newsmax. Um, I'm on with him frequently. He is uh, one of the best anchors, in my opinion, in the news because he's not afraid of actually covering the topics that uh, conservatives and also journalists just need to talk about. So, John, thanks so much for coming on today. Jenna, thank you. And those are very kind words. I mean, I don't know if I can fill those shoes, but um, look, you do every the day. audience makes it very easy for me to cover these topics because I know they care about them and they tell me they care about them. And I was kind of raised uh, and trained as a journalist to, you know, serve your audience and those those are the people that matter so they make it easy on me but thank you for those nice words yeah well it's it's completely true and i think the reason that newsmax is increasing in popularity and viewership is because of anchors like you that are willing to cover the stories that need to be talked about and aren't just pushing some sort of agenda you know um my bachelor's degree is actually in journalism and you know so i went through all of the um you know the ethics of journalism and the uh, the responsibility, frankly, of journalists, not just to advocate and be activists, which is what 
everybody on, you know, from the left and also some on the right, frankly, um, you know, there are always opinion commentary people and that's okay. I mean, as, as an analyst and a commentator, I give my opinion all the time, but for the topics that you cover, um, I think the reason that Newsmax is increasing in viewership is because you haven't shied away from covering the stories uh, like January 6th, for example. And I want to get into that and a really interesting guest that you had on yesterday. But before we get there, uh, John Bachman and everyone follow him on Twitter at John F. Bachman. That's B-A-C-H-M-A-N. He's great on Twitter. You know, not quite as snarky as our friend Greg Kelly, but that's okay. So I I try to, I I am, I am trying to learn from Greg. I've been told that, uh, (laughs) If only my Twitter game could be as strong as Greg's. If only all of our Twitter game could be as strong as as Greg's and our pants not nearly as cool. So, uh, yeah, so the the San Francisco's only in and out uh, refuses to enforce their vaccination mandate. And, John, this was such a great story because the uh, because San Francisco actually shut down this in and out after learning that uh, the staff weren't checking diners proof of vaccination and preventing customers without proof from entering. And the the restaurant, according to uh, this article from, uh, it looks like the San Francisco Eater, which I'm sure is the the foodie magazine, um, as well as other outlets, it said um, that the restaurant has since resumed takeout and indoor dining, but the company seems to be digging its heels in on the vaccine mandate in a statement, and I loved this, provided to Eater San Francisco, In-N-Out Chief Legal Business Officer Arnie Weisinger, who we're trying to get on the show, by the way, uh, he says that the company believes requiring requiring its staff to enforce a vaccination mandate constitutes government overreach and is refusing to do so. So part of his statement says, we fiercely disagree with any government dictate that forces a private company to discriminate against customers who choose to patronize their business. This is clear government overreach and it's intrusive, improper, and offensive. He also said, we refuse to become the vaccination police. John Bachman, I think this is fantastic that companies like this are finally standing up and being like, no, this is insane. Yes, and unlike you, I love the statement from their lawyer here because this is really, and you think about, Jenna, the way they rolled out the vaccine mandate with the announcement from the White House, we're going to do this, this is the plan. If you guys don't get in gear, you know, we're going to threaten you in a very kind of overt way. Um, and a lot of the companies just started to get on board with that. We saw the airline companies do it first. And, you know, one of the reasons is because they're so heavily regulated. I'm sure there was an aspect uh, from some of these airlines thinking, hey, if we don't get on board with what the feds want us to do, that's only going to cause problems for us down the road. Um, but, you know, I, I love what the lawyer from in and out Burger says. We're not going to do the dirty work of the you know, government of San Francisco or the federal government or anybody else. Uh, it's going to have a negative impact on our our business. We don't agree with it, number one. Um, and I, you know, I, I hope, and I said this earlier on my show, Jen, I hope these are the green shoots of resistance that are going to continue to grow. I mean, we see Southwest Airlines trying to kind of, you know, reorient their position on this whole issue where they were going to put these employees who are protesting on non-paid, you know, unpaid leave. Now they're going to change that. They're still going to require some things. We have Delta Airlines saying they're not going to require the vaccine mandates, but they are going to make uh, their unvaccinated employees pay more in insurance premiums. Um, but I, I do feel like these companies are starting to realize that they have to make a choice, either these mandates or, you know, a mutiny among their employees. Yeah. And I loved also what uh, Weisinger, this, the in and outs lawyer said 
about a private company that's being forced to discriminate against customers who choose right. to patronize their business. And, you know, this is a matter of discrimination. And interestingly, I was in New York last week. Um, I was there for an event with uh, Andrew Giuliani. He was on the podcast and I you know, endorsed him for governor. Um, such a good friend. I, I just love uh, he and Rudy and their whole family. And, you know, of course, New York has a similar um, vaccine passport proof mandate. And it was fascinating going around the city, just being like, I'm not going to going to show this. This is ridiculous. And some restaurants are willing to say, okay, you know, you can sit outside, but you can't come inside. But then they had these little like pop-up tents that were basically outdoor, indoor dining. And apparently that was okay. And and the entire thing is so irrational. And that's what I think bothers a lot of people, not only the government overreach, but the fact that none of this even makes sense. It's just government trying to compel and force private businesses to do their bidding when there really is no actual rational basis. And for those of you listening who, you know, follow uh, the Supreme Court cases and follow government action and, um, you know, and, and understand the difference in terms of uh, strict scrutiny versus intermediate and rational basis. Generally, when it's a neutral law of general applicability, the standard, of course, is that the government just has to have a rational basis. And John Bachman, I don't even think that the government can assert a rational basis at this point because it's so irrational and so inconsistent and isn't actually according to science. And we've seen that in other cases, like, uh, for example, the John MacArthur case that um, I was one of the lead counsel on where their own LA County health officials didn't want to submit to depositions because they knew that they could not justify their arbitrary, indiscriminate, and completely uh, uh, just indeterminate orders, their health orders, because they didn't even make sense. They don't make sense. Um, And we saw this, you know, with these churches being closed in California, I mean, it cuts to the very core of what the First Amendment stands for. You can't just, you know, tear up the Constitution and throw it out the window in a time of crisis. Um, Many people have tried to do that in the past, but they've always been rebuffed by our court system. And you're absolutely right, Jenna. I mean, the justification for some of these things are not, it's not based on science. A lot of it's based on fear. A lot of it's based on the unfortunate uh, aspect of human nature that, you know, power uh, corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. And that's what we see some of these uh, officials, they get drunk on the power that they're able to obtain through an emergency situation like this, and they seem unwilling to let it go. And that's another thing that we've talked about is when is the pandemic going to end? I mean, these thresholds have been set for a number of cases in a certain day, but that changes. Uh, you know, there's been no consistency uh, in terms of you know what uh, the end of the pandemic looks like from Dr. Fauci or anybody else. So, you know, ultimately, I think it's going to come down to the American public to decide for themselves when the pandemic is over. And we're starting to see this. We've seen this at college football stadiums around the country. You know, Dr. Fauci telling us in September, don't go to college football games. We're all going to die. Well, <laughs> what, what have we seen? Like in, in Let's Florida, go example, Brandon. cases Absolutely. are down 80 <laughs> percent. And of course, you don't see that on the mainstream media. They don't want you to know that Ron DeSantis, death Santis, as they like to call him, actually is leading his state successfully through this pandemic where other states are failing. California being case number one, New York is another example of that. Uh, People are moving to states like Florida and Tennessee and Texas because they don't want that kind of tyranny in their lives. 
Absolutely. And, you know, I am an advocate for government having a proper role. I am not a libertarian and, you know, somebody who just says, okay, anything the government wants me to do, I need to stand up and say, no, you can't ever, you know, force me to comply with anything. Well, no, we don't go that far as conservatives, but this type of overreach, uh, John, you're absolutely right that now we're getting close to two years since the beginning of this so-called emergency and emergency use authorization, emergency powers act. I mean, all of these things that government is empowered a little bit to do under the auspices of emergency has to have a threshold of when that emergency ends. And for all of the states, their legislatures have reconvened since uh, the emergency powers have been given to their governors and states can can legislate. Uh, People have the information. We've seen now that there is not nearly as as significantly high um, of a death rate as we were originally possibly contemplating. We've seen, you know, 99.98% survival rate. Um, We've seen that there are other types of therapeutics that work. Um, We now have three different vaccinations that um, the left is touting as Uh, as saying that they're effective in minimizing symptoms and even people on the right are, uh, unfortunately the vaccine has become so politicized, but um, you know, that's something that is available to literally anyone who wants it. And so all of these things show that the government is no longer in this, in a state of emergency. And the thing that's so frustrating about a lot of these mandates is that this is coming down from a heavy hand of government rather than saying, okay, we are no longer in the state of emergency. We're moving past this. And um, as you said, John, when is this going to end? Because Fauci and others continue to move the goalposts. They continue to say, you know, initially it was herd immunity. Initially it was until the vaccine is widely available. All of these things have come and gone. And yet we're still finding that government now that it has all of this power, never wants to give it back. And so I think you're right that um, it's going to be incumbent on the people and people like in and out and people like um, these pilot organizations, you know, the unions standing up and saying, and each individual person just standing up and saying, no, this is unconstitutional and I'm going to stand firm that this isn't out of rebellion. This isn't about saying I'm going against the government and I'm being rebellious. It's the same thing as what John MacArthur said, which is that the government is the one that's actually violating the constitution. So I have an obligation as an American citizen to, to mandate that my government follow the U.S. Constitution, rather than just saying, oh, well, the government can just do whatever it wants and forget the Constitution in the midst of whenever they declare an emergency. So we're also seeing, John, that um, there was another uh, case I talked about briefly yesterday that the Supreme Court declined to immediately block the, uh, the vaccine mandate for Maine healthcare workers. And we've kind of seen a split in uh, some of the lower courts. Some of the federal courts are saying, Um, You know, yeah, for religious exemptions, you can't put workers on unpaid leave um, if a determination hasn't been met or they haven't yet filed, but they are um, seeking a religious exemption. And I really think that the Supreme Court is going to have to deal with this issue. They seem hesitant to do it on a on a temporary basis and sort of immediately. And so it's my opinion. And I, you know, this is obviously just speculation. I haven't talked to the justices. They don't tell us their rationale other than their written opinions. But I think they're probably waiting for a more complete uh, record on the lower court stages to then be able to more comprehensively address this. 
But what is your uh, what is your thought in terms of where this is going um, from just a national and overall uh, media perspective of how, of the tenor of the country? Well, I think it makes a fascinating case study here, Jenny, because as I was telling you before the show today, I mean, it kind of sets up the idea of federalism against the First Amendment and religious freedom, those types of things and personal autonomy, those issues. I, you know, as a non-lawyer here, you, you got to look to the 10th Amendment, I think, and say, you know, any power not expressly given to the federal government falls to the states, um, which, you know, would indicate there, and there's some history of this, I guess, that allows maybe states or even smaller municipalities to be the ones that implement these emergency powers. And I think the reasoning behind that and, you know, our constitutional authors and legal scholars would say that's because that gives the people the you know ability to face their their local governments they can't everybody can't go to washington and hold your government to account um so and in you know in times of emergency these powers have been needed in the past but i am so reluctant to hand them over to anyone based on what we've seen the actions we've seen from people like andrew cuomo or even rachel levine in pennsylvania who's now a four-star admiral in our public health service for whatever reason. Um, you know, I, again, I, I don't know how this is going to come down. You would think that this, these justices would side for religious freedom because that's one of the arguments here. Um, there have also been arguments made on what about a natural immunity? Shouldn't that come into play? I think you're right, though, Jenna. The only ruling that anyone is actually going to adhere to is something that comes from the Supreme Court because in this day and age, let's be honest, the Supreme Court has basically become kind of the de facto clearinghouse for anything legislatively or anything from the executive branch that gets done. You know, they are the deciding body right now. And I don't think that's healthy for our republic, but it's where we are. Yeah, no. And, you know, the Supreme Court has, uh, interestingly, the lowest approval rating I think it ever has because people tend to view the Supreme Court now as uh, as political activists rather yeah. than independent arbiters, which is uh, what they're supposed to do is to keep the two political branches in check and also to decline to uh, to enforce uh, any sort of uh, federal mandate against the states that, as you mentioned, you know, the, the Ninth and Tenth Amendment absolutely say and and expressly say that any specific enumerated powers not given to the federal government are reserved to the states or to the people. And that's a really important uh, part of it as well, because you're absolutely right, John, that um, you know, the founders in their wisdom knew that state and local governments are closer to the people. They can best uh, determine what's needed and what's necessary for their specific communities. This is why President Trump provided just resources and recommendations, but trusted the states to implement their protocols in the best manner that would address their own constituency base in their own community. But also for things like health mandates, we have to be really careful, I think, to not just say, well, okay, so our state and local leaders won't overreach. I mean, looking at LA County, looking at San Francisco, I mean, this is just so ridiculous that they're coming into an in and out and they're saying, you're not uh, scanning people's, you know, checking their papers and scanning their vaccine passports. So we're going to come in and shut down your private business. I mean, that's absurd. And healthcare decision-making absolutely needs to be left to the individual people to decide. And just things like parental rights, um, you know, so many things like education, um, healthcare, you know, all of these things have a very interesting tension between the rights that we as individuals 
can freely exercise and then what's considered sort of the general police power and enforcement power of the states. And I think that's going to end up being the tension. Uh, hopefully the Supreme Court is going to just flatly refuse Joe Biden any sort of overreaching federal mandate. I think that's very clear that that's unconstitutional. But when it comes to the tension between, you know, what local school boards can enforce, then um, okay, well, then the the parents can say our option then is to choose a different school or to choose homeschooling um, and to opt out of those things. And so that's where the freedom and liberty aspect has to come into play, because if some private companies are saying, OK, of our own volition, we're going to um, institute a, a mandate for our new employees unless it goes against some sort of collective bargaining agreement, employment law terms, um, you know, the religious accommodations, ADA, all those things come into play, but it should not come from the state and it should not come without exemptions. It shouldn't come without um, others, other opportunities and other types of uh, choices. And this is where I think our government and our understanding of genuine freedom and liberty is really going to be tested. And we're going to see that. Um, and, and I think you're absolutely right as well, John, that people are going to start saying, okay, then if states like California and New York and, you know, maybe Michigan and, you know, some of these liberal states are going to allow and even require private businesses to enforce these mandates, then we're going to move to the states that have freedom and liberty. And in that sense, uh, we're we're offering some of those choices in America, and so that split is also going to be fascinating. And some people are talking about, and I think this is an important thing to cover, uh, are talking about you know kind of the next coming civil war, and you know not necessarily you know a literal war in terms of arms, but kind of this um, this cold war of a fundamental philosophical difference between progressive leftists and conservatives. And this is fascinating because it's not just geographical, it's almost like neighbor to neighbor. And so how do you see this uh, playing out over the next, you know, maybe six months all the way to midterms? And how is this going to potentially shape America in the future and also impact 2022? Well, I think if things continue as they are right now, Jenna, um, conservatives are going to reap the benefits of an administration that looks lost, um, a Democratic Party that's deeply divided. And, you know, based on what we're seeing from the infighting that's happening as a result of these two massive spending bills, the only thing that really unifies Democrats is the money that is handed out through these appropriations bills. So there's no like, you know, Green New Deal or no overarching belief in socialism that, that unifies the Democratic Party. We do see this trend towards the more progressive kind of socialist aspects of the Democratic Party. I think we also see Joe Biden willing to be malleable to whatever is in vogue with the Democratic Party. I mean, this is a guy who's been on both sides of every major issue in Washington for the last half century. So we shouldn't be surprised if he's kind of going wherever the winds take him with it with his party. Um, but I do think most of this country, outside of Washington, D.C. and New York City and San Francisco and Los Angeles, are middle-of-the-road, um, center-right Americans who respect the flag, that like police officers, that want our military to be the world's most powerful fighting force and not this vehicle for woke philosophies and critical race theory. So, you know, I don't know who Democrats talk to. I, I think Joe Manchin probably has a better Paul, you know, finger on the pulse of average Americans and Nancy Pelosi does. 
But look, I mean, it's all going to come down to what they're able to accomplish Jenna, and how the American public feels this time next year when we're all headed to the polls to vote in the midterm elections. And if the election were held today, the joke is I'd be surprised. Ha ha ha. But if the election were held today, I mean, it would be a bloodbath for Joe Biden and Democrats. And you think about what happened in the House races in 2020 and the surprises that Democrats got in the Rio Grande Valley of Texas. I mean, multiply that by 100. And that's what they're looking at across the board. So I don't know what their end game here is. I think they wanted to take the country in a different direction, obviously, and they did not anticipate the backlash that they would get from voters. Maybe they didn't anticipate all these crises that would crop up. I don't know how you wouldn't you know, foresee what's happening at the border. And apparently they were told this was going to happen. But again, I'm always kind of having this internal dialogue with myself, Jenna, as to whether some of this stuff is intentional, like they're really trying just to crash the whole system so they can remake it, or if they've erred here and uh, these policies, they didn't really anticipate the consequences. So I I, I I think ultimately the result is that the American public wakes up. A lot of people that, you know, just held their nose and voted for Joe Biden because he wasn't Donald Trump really have buyer's remorse right now. And we're seeing this in the poll numbers and, you know, things are going to, things are going to turn. I always have confidence in the American public. And as Winston Churchill famously said, once upon a time, you know, he had a British father and American mother. He said, uh, Americans always do the right thing after trying all the wrong things first. <laughs> so well said. And I think it's very hopeful and encouraging that we've seen America go through dark times. We've certainly seen America come through a lot of things that could have uh, ultimately crippled us or um, you know, taken away a lot of our freedoms and liberties or overhauled the U.S. Constitution, but we've always gotten through it, and it's because of the resilience of the American people. And, um, and John, I think that's a really hopeful note, and, um, and I want to transition here in the last few minutes that we have. So by now, you've all heard me talk about MyPillow, my good friend Mike Lindell, and now Mike has done it again by introducing his new My Slippers. I have them. I love them. Mike has taken over two years to develop these. They're designed to wear indoor, outdoor, and all day long, made with my pillow foam and impact gel to help prevent fatigue and they are made with quality leather suede. For a limited time, Mike is offering 50% off of the new My Slippers. The My Slippers are so comfortable, you will want to get some for your whole family. It makes a great Christmas gift. Go to mypello.com, click on the radio listener square, and use promo code Jenna. That's J E N N A. You will also get deep discounts on all MyPello products, including the Giza Dream bed sheets, the MyPello mattress topper, the MyPello towel sets, and so much more. Or call 1 800 564 8475 and use the promo code Jenna. That's J-E-N-N-A. I'm talking with John Bachman, who of course is a Newsmax anchor, uh, 12 to 2, always uh, watch Newsmax. It's in my opinion, of course, being a contributor, it's the best outlet uh, for news. And uh, definitely in addition to the Salem Radio Network and our podcast here, uh, but for news and, um, and all of that, John is just the best. And you told me earlier today, and I so appreciate, you know, our, um, our dialogues, John, because um, as I've been more in the media over the last, you know, five and six years, um, I have truly come to appreciate people like you that um, are, we have conversations about things in the news, you know, that are, that are offline and, you know, friends that I've had and developed in these circles. um, I really appreciate learning so much from people like you who have so much experience in the media and who've been analyzing, you know, issues like this for, um, you know, a lot longer than me. And 
just um, your perspective on things um, is just always really spot on for one thing, but it's also really fascinating. And we talked earlier in the show about um, you covering the topics that people really want to hear. And one of those has been all of the January 6th uh, political prisoners. And you were talking about um, a, a very interesting guest that you had on and the conversation around this um, that conservatives are really hesitant to uh, necessarily weigh in on some of this, but we need to because what's happening to these people that are only charged with misdemeanors um, is absolutely unconstitutional. It's frankly horrific. And this is something where we need to still be telling the truth, be speaking up for the Constitution, uh, our constitutionally protected rights, and uh, not buying into the fear mongering and the name calling of the left. Absolutely, Jen. And again, you're so kind. And, you know, I, I, I love our relationship because it's a very collegial one. I tell people that all the time. It's like, you know, um, when people ask me who you're talking to, oh, I'm talking to Jenna Ellis and we're talking about some legal philosophy or this amendment of the Constitution. And then people look at me like you're funny. And I tell people it's like, you know, if have you ever been in a, you know, did you ever have a college group of people that you really liked, actually, and you did the work and then you would talk about stuff? I mean, maybe maybe they're not nerds like I was in college, but like that's. <laughs> You know, we, 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 we do our work, Jenna, and then we talk about this stuff offline, and you're a happy warrior, and I'm always looking for other happy warriors to have these conversations with because it's easy to get down and negative because things just don't seem right, um, especially when it comes to this 1-6 stuff. But, um, you know, thank you for that again. But when we're talking about 1-6, I had one of my very favorite reporters on yesterday, Julie Kelly from American Greatness, and she has done such a phenomenal job covering you know, what, what really are, you know, almost atrocities with the way some of these nonviolent offenders at the Capitol are being treated, locked up for months, you know, is, does, not re- does not resemble due process, Jenna, in any sh- way, shape, or form. You know, just this week, the feds were forced to release more surveillance video that they didn't want to release that shows Capitol Hill police officers basically letting people in the door. So we have a couple different situations here. We have you know, the video that the feds wanted released, which is very violent and it's hard to watch and it's disgusting, I think, for people like you and me to see folks attacking our capital in a certain way. And then we have this other group of people, which is the vast majority of the folks who have been arrested. They've been arrested for wandering around the capital. The actual charge many of them face is parading. It is a misdemeanor. Um, and, you know, it just just doesn't smell right. Um, there's lots of questions too about how the FBI has been using confidential informants. And, you know, for, for the average American out there who can watch what happened on January 6th and be deeply offended by the people that breached the Capitol, but at the same time can say, you know, a grandmother from Florida should not have her life ruined because, you know, she wandered into the Capitol with a mob of people who were basically let in the door by the Capitol police. So we've got to be able as a country to separate these two things. I'm always still amazed as well by the amount of people that use terms like insurrection and sedition and coup when there is no legal justification right now based on the charging documents for the 600 plus cases that have, you know, that have been started uh, to be adjudicated here. There, there is no charge for insurrection. There is no charge for sedition. The only person that died on the day of the riot was Ashley Babbitt, who was killed by a Capitol Hill police officer. And that Capitol Hill police officer got a lot more due process than the average cop on the street who kills some person. And then, you know, that's normally followed by some riot. But, you know, what Julie really talked about yesterday is, you know, the way some of these judges too have become political operatives and some of the statements that they have made, Jenna, would, you know, if you were a defense attorney, you would say there's no absolute way that my client get a fair trial when you have judges 
from the bench claiming that five people were killed in the riot. Five people were killed associated with the riot, other stuff. But, you know, again, they're, they're, this stuff matters in, inside a court of law. And a lot of times these judges are using these cases um, to send a message to the whole entire country, but they're not doing it in a fair way. And, you know, it's not popular. I, I, I try to talk about this with some members of Congress. There are only a few who are willing to talk about it. It doesn't poll well in suburban America. But this isn't about polling or about what's doing politically expedient. This is about standing up for folks who went to Washington, D.C. to, you know, to voice their concerns because they don't believe that the federal government, um, or, you know, especially some of the Republicans, were really standing up for their right to have their vote cast and have it counted. And, you know, and, and if this continues, if the treatment of these uh, people who have been arrested continues, there's going to be more violence, unfortunately, because people don't feel like their voices are being heard. They don't feel like their concerns are being answered. You know, just today, I played a clip of Mitch McConnell telling Republicans to forget about 2020 and move on and make 2022 and 2024 a referendum on this particular president. But if people don't feel confident in going to the poll in the first place, they're not going to show up. And the lessons to be learned from 2020, Jenna, are that like anything else in this pandemic, when people have the opportunity to seize power, they are going to take that opportunity. That's why you have, you know, 24-7 drop-off locations. That's why you have uh, no-ask absentee ballots being sent out to everybody. This stuff is ripe for fraud. If we don't do these, these audits, if we don't take a closer look at this stuff, you know, you don't hear about two poll workers being fired in Fulton County, Georgia, or the uh, lack of chain of custody documents for the ballots in Florida. You don't hear about uh, the inconsistencies with um, the extra votes in Arizona and things like that. And we need to be armed with that information as we get ready for 2022. And one of the, the, the most, I think, encouraging things about all of this is I don't hear people talking about, you know, storming the Capitol or overturning the election. I hear people now in mass talking about showing up, becoming poll workers, becoming volunteer poll watchers, making sure that they're in the vote tabulation center in Fulton County, Georgia next time around, that they're there in Detroit the next time around when the votes are being counted and people have questions about, you know, ballots showing up from places that they can't identify. So there are going to, this is going to be the closest watched election I think we've ever seen in 2022. And, um, you know, I, I hope this is the point at which people start to regain confidence and also take control of the elections process. This is our elections process, Jenna. The, the, our founders, as you know, designed the system to be decentralized so that you know, we as Americans all over the country could have control over our elections and not cede that power to the federal government. That was one of the issues I think you, know, you and some of us had when we were looking at this from a constitutional standpoint. You don't wanna give the vice president the authority to overturn the election because who knows how that can be used. We've got to keep the system decentralized. And the only way we're going to do that and keep, you know, make sure everyone's vote counts is a grassroots ground up effort to do that. And so, you know, I think Mitch McConnell is so off base with his comment about forgetting about 2020, because really what 2020 is doing is it's motivating more people to get involved to make sure that 2022 is a fairer, freer, safer, more secure election. So well said, and I think you are completely spot on on that. And, and President Trump continues to highlight 2020 so that people like 
McConnell and other rhinos can't just say, you know what, just forget about that. And then we basically have uh, what happened in 2020 happen all over again in 2022. And the worst thing we could do is just ignore that or just sit back and say, well, my vote doesn't even count. So so what does it matter? Well, I think that what you're saying as the proper response and what I see a lot of my fellow citizens doing is getting involved, um, continuing to speak out and saying these labels like, you know, insurrectionist and traitor and blah, 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 don't matter. They're fictitious. They have no merit. And we don't care what they name call us. We care about getting involved and making sure that we're protecting not only the sanctity of our vote, but the sanctity of our country and our constitution and getting involved at every level and any level is what is critically important and making sure that we are, um, you know, if you're a legislator, you're passing common sense legislation and making sure that these runaway executives and the administrators of elections aren't getting away with absolute lawlessness. Um, If you are running for an office that, you know, I see so many people who have said to me um, either offline or on this show or elsewhere, you know, that the, the only reason that they're running for office is because of 2020. And they're seeing the, the the total absurdity of what our country is becoming under Joe Biden and his administration. And so they're wanting to engage that way. And so engagement and being responsible, active citizens in our process and saying we, the people, are who are in charge and we are going to revoke our consent of this type of an overreaching government through engaging is absolutely the best way um, to make sure that we continue to preserve and protect our rights and the sanctity of our elections and um, everything else that we hold so dear in this country. And, you know, as far as um, everything that the left is trying to do to make us not talk about the election, not talk about January 6th, not talk about uh, Donald Trump, not talk about anything uh, that they don't want us to, that just goes into cancel culture. And it goes into this myopic focus from the left of saying, we are going to target you, we're going to harass you, we're going to punish you if you speak out against our preferred narrative. And I can speak to this personally. I mean, people have tried, I have had Um, dozens of bar complaints um, against me, literally just saying, you know, that I need to be disbarred because, and not work as an attorney, just because I I I represented Trump. Barry Weiss said this so well uh, on Brian Stelter's show. I mean, we've reached this point where the world has gone mad. And, you know, this is a a calculation that you and I and everybody else who choose waters has to take is that, you know, we put our own reputations at risk because these are not popular positions. I mean, you know, the video that was released this week, we were just talking about it. You know, we have a right to know as American citizens why these Capitol Hill police officers opened the door and let these folks in. That should be part of the 1-6 commission. I think most common sense people, when they watch the video, be like, why is this happening? These are uniformed Capitol Hill police officers opening the door or moving barricades to allow these breachers in. So why is that happening? But of course, we know those questions are not going to be asked from Liz Cheney or Adam Kinzinger, the only two Republicans who are on this committee. They're not going to you know, ask these hard questions. Jim Jordan, he was going to be on this committee, but Democrats wouldn't allow it. He was going to ask these questions. But th- this is this whole thing, this whole 1-6 commission, it is a show trial, just like the last impeachment was. I don't think the result's going to be in, any different, but it's the only card Democrats have to play right now because their whole entire agenda is a dumpster fire. Absolutely. And and you're right that these are not popular positions, but these are 
um, these are valid positions. And we need to not allow the harassment of the left to make us move from our advocacy for not just our own political opinions, but also, like in my case, actual clients. I mean, this is something where, and I, and I spoke about this actually on Eric Metaxas's show last week and was um, lambasted from the left for saying, you know, this is, this used to be um, in the realm of advocacy, this used to actually be a virtuous thing to be an advocate for the people that were considered politically unpopular by certain groups. And Donald Trump, of course, is wildly popular um, among, I would say, most Americans, um, certainly more than Joe Biden. I mean, just look at the approval ratings, guys, right now. Um, but by the left, who think that they're always in the majority. And so to represent him in his interests and, and to have the left um, attack attorneys solely on that basis and think that just because we're representing the position of a client that somehow now we're worthy of disbarment is absolutely absurd. And no one then could ever, who's accused of any sort of crime, much less something that's politically unpopular, could ever seek an attorney at that point. And that's not at all what our due process and our uh, adversarial system is designed to operate in. And this, but this is what the left wants to do. They want to uh, force conservatives out of public industries, um, not only advocacy and lawyering, but even look at what they're doing to the healthcare industry, um, to all of the all of these different industries with cancel culture, with vaccine mandates, with every tool at their disposable disposal that they think they can possibly get away with. So I think, John, the, the bottom line and the message for people listening today is we have to stand up with courage and boldness. Uh, fight the fight that needs fighting and not back down to the intimidation tactics of the left. Otherwise, they win out of hand. And I'm going to stand up for truth. I'm going to continue to advocate. I'm going to continue to say that, you know, all of these uh, Twitter complaints, all of these different things are totally bogus. They're politically motivated and, you know, continue to do what God has for me today and do it to the best of my ability and to continue to speak truth and encourage others uh, to as well. And recognize that in America, we still have the constitutionally protected rights to do all of these things. And we need to make sure that we are taking every step available to continue to protect liberty for the next generation. So closing thoughts, John, and also where uh, people can find you and, uh, and of course, besides watching you from 12 to 2 on Newsmax Eastern. You can find me anywhere uh, cable is offered. We're on all the major cable and satellite providers. You can also get us at NewsmaxTV.com. Like Jenna said, I'm on every day from noon to 2 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, you can catch Jenna on there sometimes. Uh, not as much as I'd like because she's busy and has other things to do, but um, I love to you know get engaged in these conversations. And as you were saying, Jenna, about the Constitution, I have the copy of the Constitution that my dad got from the Cato Institute that he gave to me when I think I was 14 years old. And he told me, basically, this is all you'll need in life when it comes to questions about what is right to do when it comes to the law. Um, interesting that my dad worked in construction, but he's very conservative and he, you know, he believes in the Constitution. I've read that thing, Jenna, every day almost since I was 14, because it is such an impressive document, that and the Declaration of Independence. And I always encourage people um, just to read the Constitution, because it protects you from powerful entities like the government. Um, and it's just such a well-written document. The, our founders, the way they wrote the English language is so beautiful. I wish we could get back to that. I don't think we ever will. Um, but uh, I, I have so much love for the Constitution and this country. And I think if people read the Constitution more, I tell people it's like a muscle. 
use it or lose it, the Constitution, and we get the government and the media we deserve. So get involved, pay attention, be a happy warrior, just like Jenna is, and uh, stay tuned because, you know, you always got to believe that the best days of this country are still ahead. And I think, um, you know, President Trump always talked about that. I always loved that he says the best is yet to come. And, you know, that's the way I think um, you got to hold that thought in the back of your mind always. As bad as things seem, there's always brighter days ahead. Yes. And as you were saying that, uh, that was immediately where my mind went. I was like, the best is yet to come. And President Trump, for all of uh, everything that has happened to him over the last you know, six years now, really, it's been, uh, he is still so optimistic, still loves this country, is still a happy, sometimes snarky warrior, which I actually really appreciate about him. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and I think we need to adopt that attitude as well and to go forward saying, you know, we still have uh, bright days ahead. So uh, John Bachman, thanks so much for joining me today. Um, hope you come back uh, soon, frequent and uh, often and always love hearing from you. All right, Jen, anytime. Pleasure to do it. Thank you so much. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver for the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.